Well, wasn't that a beautiful song that takes us right through uh, the life of Jesus Christ? I'm going to hand the time over now to Pastor Glenn as he brings us what God has laid on his heart for this season. Good morning. We're going to look at Romans chapter 14. So I just want you to turn with me to Romans 14. I will come to the text a bit later, but I just want you to at least uh, get ready and turn to Romans 14. A lot of uh, very beautiful words that I'm going to touch on in that passage. This morning, as Pastor Caroline has already mentioned, we are taking a break from Revelation and uh, I have entitled uh, this morning's sermon called Handling Disagreement Agreeably and Lovingly. Handling Disagreement Agreeably and Lovingly. I've observed that in the last couple of years, there are actually a number of international events that have caused a lot of unrest and actually polarized the community. Uh, I could think of the so-called pro-democracy uh, protests in Hong Kong a number of years ago that literally split community, families, churches on how to handle that. And then last year, November, was another event. As we all know that it was the U.S. presidential election between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. And that again, I, I've never seen a a U.S. election that has literally ripped the world apart. Uh, I have actually been in dinner where I was so fearful that one person is going to be like Jesus in the temple, topple the entire table just because of disagreement on who to support. And then we all know this uh, COVID-19 since last year, March, or even earlier, uh, has as well cause a lot of tension and polarized community, uh, whether you're pro or anti-vaccine, pro or anti-lockdown, uh, for whatever reason, some do not want to get uh, vaccinated, whether it's because it is uh, believing that that is poisoned, or some uh, believe that there's the mark of a beast, and so by all means, don't get it. Uh, and as, as a result, they, they don't go down the part of it. Uh, I'm not a scientist, but I can say with certainty that that is definitely not the mark of the beast. So whatever reason you don't want to take a uh, vaccine, please don't use that as a reason. Please don't. So if this pandemic has taught us anything at all, I think it's the fact that reasonable, well-intentional, well-intentioned believers can come to different conclusions. And so the issue among us Christians is how do we handle this? As, uh, as we just mentioned that uh, come next month when we gather back here, how do we Christians handle these agreements? You know, in the late 1990s, uh, there's a British parliamentarian called Peter Madison. Madison. He gave a speech to a group of executives in Silicon Valley, California. And he said this. He said, he said, I'm intensely relaxed about people getting filthy rich. 
as long as they pay their taxes. And the phrase is, I am intensely relaxed. And my fear is, from my observation, is that the church, in some sense Christians, we are also intensely relaxed about sidelining something that should be of foundational importance. And that is the way in which we approach our inevitable disagreements. We are intensely relaxed. We don't mind how we handle disagreements at all. We don't even consider that we should handle it in a Christian and godly manner. We just intensely relax and don't bother about that at all. And I think the challenge is neatly outlined in some words of Jesus spoken with clarity and simplicity in John chapter 13, verse 35. The famous verse, farewell discourse, final night, had communion, the Lord's Supper, and he said, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So in some sense, how we relate to each other is actually the gospel message. And I think for us believers, we cannot be intensely relaxed in the way we handle disagreement. Christians disagree a lot. And as such, I want to give you three points. And it is the third point that I want to expand and use Romans 14 as a way for us as believers handling disagreement. The first two is just very quickly, just a passing remark. Firstly, disagreements are inevitable. Someone said that to live above with saints we love, oh, that would be glory. But to live below with saints we know, well, that's another story. Or another author, uh, I've seen this in Bangkok before, uh, but I don't know who, who they, they can't decide who, who, who was the one who made this quote. There's actually in the hotel lobby this poster that said, the more I learn about people, the more I, le- I like my dog. In a hotel, can you believe that? And anybody in, in, in the way of dealing with people know the complexity of human being. And some of us, we are living with some people, like, whether it's your family, one of the relatives, distant cousins, uh, incredibly, or church members, uh, always uh, not easy to handle. Uh, even believers struggle to find common ground with one another. Disagreements are inevitable simply because we are different people. We have different backgrounds, different upbringing, different ages, different parents, different interests, different abilities, talents. This means we will not see eye to eye on everything in life and we will disagree. And this unity has also been a major problem with God's people. If you look at the Bible, even the Old Testament records the civil wars and family fights among the people of Israel. And almost every local church that Paul has to address in the New Testament had divisions to contend with. The Corinthians were divided over human leaders and some of the members were even suing each other. And the Galatian saints, if you turn to Galatians chapter 5, verse 15, the words actually there, the Galatian saints were actually biting and devouring each other. Galatians 5, verse 15. And Paul has to remind the church in Ephesus and Colossia, had to be reminded of the importance of Christian unity. 
And then, if you do not know, Philippians, the book of Philippians in Philippi, Philippians is the joyful letter, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. You know, joy, rejoice is always appear in that letter. But two women, did you know two women in that congregation were at odds with each other? And as a result, were splitting the church. You can read that in Philippians chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. And so, the point is disagreements are inevitable. It's part and parcel of life. And secondly, disagreements are dangerous or can be dangerous. Disagreements can be dangerous. Why? Because they can often lead to some other things which are not good. And that is why in Ephesians chapter 4 that we have covered a number of weeks ago, Paul reminds the efficient believers that in your anger do not sin do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold and so when we disagree with people if we are not careful if we are not cautious this disagreement can lead to anger and this disagreement can lead to uncontrolled anger which opens the door to the devil for believers. And, and in James chapter 1, verse 19 to 20, James said, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God's desire. So, disagreements, they are inevitable. Disagreements can be dangerous if we don't handle carefully and ask the Lord to help us. As I often say, anger is just one letter short of danger. And we all know that even in our own experience, anger can, can lead to many things. Making the impulsive decision, anger, and, and lead to many other things that we look back, we regret greatly. And I certainly have, as a pastor, uh, making decision on the run, sometimes just retaliating or reacting, and as a result, you live with the regrets. How you wish you can unwind back and be a bit more wise and be a bit more discerning instead of uh, uh, making decisions when you're emotionally unstable. And uh, my third point that I want to expand on uh, in Romans 14 is these agreements are solvable. And in this passage in Romans 14, I want to give you five points. Five points. And it's a long passage. I don't intend to read through just to save a bit of time. What I'm going to do is just as I need each point represent few verses and I'll read from there. So I hope you can follow me turning yourself to turn uh, your Bible to Romans chapter 14. The first point that I want to make, this, this first point is probably the, 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 the most important of all. These agreements are solvable. Number one, you have to learn to discern or distinguish between primary and secondary issues. You must distinguish or discern between primary and secondary issues. This is vitally important for our understanding of chapter 14 to be absolutely clear as to the issue at hand. The issue in Romans chapter 14, as I'll come to that, is speaks, speaks, that Paul speaks about is the matter of personal convictions. 
personal convictions. Paul is very strong on what Paul always distinguishes between what is primary and secondary. And when we come to Romans 14, he is so relaxed about this kind of secondary issues. But when it is the primary issues, he will never compromise. We see that in Galatians, we see that in Colossians, primary issues. Individual Christians will often differ over matters of conscience and of freedom, liberty. And the differences of which Paul speaks here in chapter 14, they are not over absolutes or fundamental doctrines of the faith. So they are not. So chapter 14, it is not to deal with the fundamental doctrines of the faith or absolutes. Specifically, Paul mentions in the passage of Romans 14 about observing certain holy days or certain groups refer to eat meat or vegetables or some people drinking wine or not because it is a transition time. Some Jewish, they became Christians and they are still hanging on to the, to the Old Testament law and then here you have Gentile converts that have no such background. And so there's a bit of tension. They are expecting to eat this and all that. So while two Christians may disagree over whether or not a Christian should drink wine or eat only vegetables, no Christians should dispute the fact that lying, stealing, and immorality are sin. So Paul is very clear on those things. These are biblical and moral absolutes. No two Christians should differ over the virgin birth or deity of Christ, the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ, or the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. These are doctrinal certainties. You can go to Anglican Church, you can go to Methodist Church, Baptist Church, Brethren, AOG. These are fundamentals that they agreed on. And so when we understand that Paul is speaking with, with regard to individual liberties, Christian rights, and personal convictions, then it is easy to see the difference in Paul's attitude in Romans 14 or if you go and read Galatians chapter 5 or Colossians chapter 2, he was very firm on those things and he won't compromise because those are fundamental, he will not compromise. But secondary issues, better of liberties or conscience, he said, well, you make up your mind. It comes to that when we are going to plow you through. And so there were those who thought that it was impossible to be saved apart from the keeping of the law. And Paul said, no, 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 you can't do that. And so, so please, the difference, I think, if you, if you remember, if you remember between, at one point, at one point in, 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 he asked Timothy to circumcise. No, he asked Timothy not to or circumcise, yes. But Titus, he said, don't circumcise. Paul had Timothy circumcised in Acts chapter 16, for example, so as not to offend the custom of those who knew his father was a Greek. But later on, in Galatians, Paul refused to allow Titus to circumcise because the Jewish people there believed that through circumcision, then only you gain salvation. So you see the different point, even one, one anger he allowed, one anger he doesn't allow because of different contexts and moral absolutes or not. So Paul 
deals decisively with moral sin on the doctrinal deviation in the New Testament. He pleads for understanding and love when it comes also to immaturity in the matter of Christian liberties. Because in reality, Christians often disagree with many secondary issues. I'll give you one simple example. Uh, over music in church. You know, one person said, you know, I think when we worship on Sunday morning, we shouldn't clap because Sunday morning ought to be a time of reverence. And then the other Christian would say, no, I think Sunday morning ought to be a time of joy and rejoicing in the Lord. Uh, well, and then, and then the other person said, well, the Bible says God's house is to be the house of prayer. And then the other person said, well, but the Bible also says that Sunday is a time of celebrating the resurrection of Christ. It's a celebration. And then the other person says, what well, the Bible also says, be still and know that I am God. And then the other one may say, well, the Bible also says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Who was right and who was wrong? They were both right, but to become disagreeable over their opinion was wrong. Your opinion is no more important than mine, and opinions are just opinions. But some people see their opinion as being gospel truth, and that opinion is bound to cause disagreement anywhere or in any church. So you can go on and start to list down all these kind of items of disagreement, and Christians cannot uh, uh, agree on. There are many, many, that's why there are denominations. And so the week, as, you, as I'm going to unpack Romans 14, you'll see that Paul actually talks about strong believers and weak believers. The weak believers are prone to condemn the actions of the strong because they can't see why they, they do this. How come they drink wine? Why do they eat meat? Why they don't observe this particular holy day? They condemn because they have not yet come to understand Christian liberty. They do not accept it in others. So the weak can be immediately recognized by the frown of contempt on their faces. And then they often say, oh no, look in their eyes. Oh no, look in their eyes when they see some Christian doing certain things. And in that, Paul considered this group of people weak. And the strong are those who are fully aware of the nature of grace and of the teachings of the Word of God. They have a greater grasp of the faith, objective doctrine, and their faith is stronger in the sense. But the strong are, are in the sense can, be, can, can go down the sin of uh, smugness or arrogance. They can easily find contempt and disdain for those who cannot fully grasp grace. On their face can be seen the lofty yet condescending smile of contempt. Their eyes betrayed an expression of, oh, really, I can't do it? Well, one, one is, oh, no. There's a, oh, really? There's always this strong and the weak. And here, I want to unpack to you the following uh, four points now from Romans chapter 14. And I hope through this passage, you'll be able to handle uh, disagreements uh, in a godly manner. So point number two is accept one another. So the first one is you distinguish between primary and secondary issues, right? Don't treat everything as a gospel truth. Some secondary matters, sometimes you grow in time, it's okay to disagree on those. So the second point is accept one another. God has accepted you. 
Look with me from verses 1 to 4. Accept one another. Paul said in verse 1, Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything. But another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. So the first verse actually gives us the theme for the entire chapter. Accept him whose faith is weak, without passing judgment on disputable matters. The word accept means to open your heart and your home to other people. Disputable matters are things like eating meat, drinking wine, keeping special days in that context, and for us, maybe other things. Maybe whether a person takes vaccine or not, you know, or some social issues. But in that context, it's about drinking wine, keeping special days, eating meat. These matters, while important, should not stand in the way of our relationships with other believers. And so, to pass judgment means to come to a negative conclusion about other Christians on the basis of their outward behavior in disputable areas. Maybe I could paraphrase verse 1 this way. Make friends with everyone in the church without stopping to worry about whether they agree with you on everything or not, especially those secondary matters. Primary matters, we cannot disagree. We have to agree. But secondary matters, please give people the liberty. And the danger is that in that context, the meat eaters will look down on the vegetarians and the vegetarians will condemn the meat eaters. You see that? The wheat will say, why is he eating meat? Or the vegetarian will say, why is he eating meat? That's sin. And the vegetarian will condemn the meat eaters and the meat eaters will look down on the vegetarians. And I think the last phrase of verse 13 explains why we are to accept those whose lifestyle may be quite different from us. And that is for God has accepted him. God's grace has nothing to do with eating meat or drinking wine or keeping Sabbath days, special days. God's grace has nothing to do whether you are vac vaccinated or not. But neither does it extend only to the vegetarians, total abstainer, or those who observe no days at all. And since God accepts people solely on their basis of their faith in Jesus Christ, so should we, and not on the basis of their position on those non-essential matters. Or if I may put it a bit more blunt, 
who are we to reject the person whom God has accepted? If God has accepted him, how can we reject him or her? And so here Paul says, in order to handle disagreement, you have to learn to accept one another. Why? Because God has accepted you. And if God has accepted you, then that's final. Number three, Paul went on to give us more points on how to handle disagreement. Number three, have your own convictions. Jesus is your Lord. Have your own convictions. Look at verse 5 to 9. Follow me. Verse 5 to 9. Just look at how many times Paul referred to Jesus as Lord. He says this, verse 5. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. For they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and give thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that He might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. So I built my uh, third point in verse 5. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So have your own convictions. Jesus is your Lord. Seven times in that six verses, Paul referred to the Lord. Paul referred to the Lord. Seven times. He who regards one day as special does to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord. He who abstains does to the Lord. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Seven times. Seven times in these verses, Paul relates our lifestyle choices directly to our relationships with Jesus Christ. If we are fully surrendered to His Lordship in our lives, then we are free to make up on our minds in this disputable issues. But your life has to be submitted to the Lordship of Christ. And when you do that, you make your own decision on these disputable areas. To be fully convinced means that after looking at all the evidence and considering the various views on a given issue, you have come to a settled conclusion in your mind. It assumes an honest investigation coupled with an open mind. Sometimes you convince now, at some point you can change your mind as you investigate more. Paul said, well, did you want to eat meat? Then eat it, for Jesus is your Lord. Do you prefer to be a vegetarian? Have your bean sprout or rustle sprout or whatever and give thanks to God. Are you a total abstainer? Well, if so, rejoice that you know Jesus Christ. Do you drink wine with your dinner? Give thanks to God and Jesus is your Lord. 
If Jesus is your Lord, you can make your own decisions, knowing that He alone will be your judge. So accept one another. Have your own conviction. Jesus is your Lord. Number four, don't judge others. We will answer, we will each answer to God. Verses 10 to 13. Don't judge others. We will each answer to God. Look at verse 10. You, then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will, will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. So here is very clear uh, in verse 10. Why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Why do you judge your brother, Paul says? Why do you look down on your brother or sisters? Why? To judge in this context means not simply to evaluate his lifestyle. The word implies that you come to a negative conclusion about the way this person lives. So judging in this context soon leads to looking down on other believers. And that is believing that you are better or superior. Because A, you do the things they don't, or B, you don't do the things they routinely do. And therefore, you start to look down on them in a condescend way. Either way, you end up seeing yourself as little, just a little bit better than your brothers or sisters in Christ. And Paul here reminds us, don't judge when in doubt always give people the benefit of doubt and I think the force of Paul's argumentation is actually irresistible the Christian really has no business trying to conform his brother or his sister to his own personal convictions on those disputable matters since convictions are private property since God has accepted him as he is, and since every servant is only accountable only to his own master, then you are not in the position to do that. Don't judge others. I have position on I have every position on those secondary issues, disputable matters. I have. But whether or not you should convince people to be the same as you, that's quite another story. And Paul here suggests otherwise that they are, they are free to, to decide so long as Jesus is their Lord. So, four things now. Distinguish between primary and secondary matters. Accept them. Have your own convictions. Don't judge others because we will all answer to God. Did you know that when it comes to judgment, you answer only for yourself at the end of the day? I cannot answer for my for on behalf of my wife, or she can't answer on behalf of me. 
each one of us at the end of the day are accountable to God and give account of our own life and not another person's life. And my fifth point here in Romans 14, which is a big chunk of it, right from 14 all the way to the end of the chapter, where Paul talks, I, I, just, I just use verse 19 as my fifth point in handling disagreement. Make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Make every effort. Paul begins to establish his own position. He begins to establish his own position. He begins to tell you what he thinks. Look at verse 14. He said, As one who is in the Lord Jesus, he said, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. He actually sh shared that. That is his position. He said, I, I, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, he said, then for him it is unclean. Because his, his conscience is like that. Then for that person it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Paul now went, goes on to tell the stronger believers, hey, hey, you have every freedom, but make sure your Christian freedom is grounded in love. Make sure you are very much willing to sacrifice your legitimate Christian freedom for the sake of the weaker brothers and sisters in Christ. Because your freedom is grounded in love. Your liberty is grounded in love. And you must be willing to sacrifice that for the sake of the weaker brothers or sisters so that you won't put a stumbling block for their young infant faith in that sense. And therefore, verse 19 comes in. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. There you go. Those are the five things that is quite clear that Paul in Romans 14 gives to us about how Christians actually can handle disagreement uh, lovingly by understanding certain facts, by understanding and distinguishing the primary and secondary matters. Primary matters, you cannot compromise. I will never compromise on fundamental issues. But where it is a secondary issues, I have a lot of liberty to let people decide where they are because Christian journey is different stages. People grow in different stages. And in a church environment, there are different people at different levels of their Christian faith. And therefore, you have to give rooms for that, that 
conviction in their own life on certain disputable matters for their own, they can make up their mind on that kind of conviction on their, those issues because it is not the fundamental one. Well, the inevitability of differences and the possibility of controversies in the Christian church, we can view either positively or negatively. Some believers are not prepared to allow for differences of positions in matters of secondary importance and insist everything must be spelled out so that unity might pre prevail. So everybody in the church must hold the same view even on secondary matters. That to them is unity. While this approach definitely avoids the unpleasantness of controversy, but it does nothing to enhance diversity or to produce maturity. But other groups allow for freedom of conviction, but sometimes that position can become, you know, feel, become contentious issues that they never achieve a unified position of strength and stability. So both views are difficult, but Paul teaches the Roman believers that they must allow for differences, but they must avoid divisions. So allow differences by accepting one another, have your own conviction, don't judge, make every effort, recognizing secondary and primary matters. So Paul teaching here in Romans 14 that they must allow for differences, but they must avoid divisions. So in summary, they must commit themselves to working in love to produce a unified body that demonstrates the diversity of God's wonderful handiwork. Many years ago in uh, Daily Bread, there was this story that during World War II, uh, Hitler commanded all religious groups to unite so that he could control them. And among the brethren assemblies, half complied and half refused. Those who went along with the order had a much easier time. And those who did not, they faced harsh persecutions. And in almost every family, of those who resisted, someone died in a concentration camp. And then when the war was over, uh, feelings of bitterness ran deep between the groups and there was much tension among the group. And finally, they decided that the situation had to be healed and so leaders from each group met at a quiet retreat. And for several days, each person spent time in prayer, examining their own heart in light of Christ's commands, and then they came back together again. And Francis Schaeffer, who told of this incident, he asked a friend who was there, what did you do then? And he replied, we were just warned. And as they confessed their hostility and bitterness to God and yielded to His control, 
the Holy Spirit created a spirit of unity among them and love filled their hearts and dissolved their hatred. When, one, when love prevails among believers, especially in times of strong disagreement, it presents to the world an indisputable mark of a true follower of Jesus Christ. Can I repeat that again? When love prevails among believers, especially in times of strong disagreement, it presents to the world an indisputable mark of a true follower of Jesus Christ. And as Christians, we have the opportunity. During this pandemic, this, this time so many people disagree on so many things. I think as Christians, we have the opportunity to respond to disagreement differently than the world. In the words of Archbishop of Canterbury, say, good and loving disagreement is a potential gift to a world of bitter and divisive conflict. It is a gift to this world if Christians who disagree can handle it in a godly and loving way. It is a gift to this world that is plagued with disagreement and divisiveness in the sense. So Christian has this message that we can give to the world. The wider world might well think that to love anyone with whom one disagrees is, dis is ridiculous, but Christian must Believe strongly with all our hearts as what Jesus has called us to do, that by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So this is the, the take-home message that I want to uh, share with you. I hope you will prayerfully know how to handle disagreement in your own life, in your family lives, and as well as in the community at large, particularly uh, in this pandemic where there are so many disagreements. May God help us as Christians to continue to shine for Him during this severe time where there are so many disagreements. May we pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word in Romans 14. Uh, Paul is such an incredible uh, teacher, such an incredible apostle that his mind is so clear and full of maturity in knowing how to to handle uh, disagreement. Lord, it takes a mature uh, wisdom to know the difference between essential matters of morality and non-essential matters of conscience and conviction. Uh, it takes mature love to put one's own preference behind the good of another. It takes uncommon foresight to look beyond the immediate sacrifice of freedom for the sake of God's great plan for the world. And it takes supernatural grace to give others the freedom to be different without suffering ridicule. And it takes love, courage to let others be. And you work in our lives at, our, at your own pace, in your own time, not at our timetable, but you have your own timetable. I have changed. I've been a Christian for so many years, my position changed over the years. Nobody tried to convince me by my own study, by my own experience, by your Holy Spirit working in me. We change on secondary matters. And Paul is just, just amazing.
that on those fundamental things, he never gave in. He was harsh. He was strong. He never banned on the truth or the fundamentals. But where it's the area of liberties, he very relaxed. As the early church father says, Lord, in all things essential, let there be unity. In all things non-essentials, let there be liberty. But in all things, let there be charity. Lord, this is our prayer. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A reminder, uh, Kids Church, after service, immediately. And uh, I have a benediction clip for you as well as the closing song. And I've chosen the closing song, Heart of Worship. That I believe that once our heart is, is connected to God, then I believe we can act out lovingly and graciously in our lives. May you have a good week. Amen.
It's all about 